Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Aaron Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast. My podcast about immigrants, immigration, and everything in between. Here we are again. New week, new conversation with another amazing guest. But before we get into that, I want to thank you for joining me every week. Thank you for accompanying me to this journey. I really do appreciate it. If you're new here and you want to know more about the podcast, or if you want to see what the upcoming episode will be about, you can check me out on Instagram and Facebook at An Immigrant's Life. If you like listening and you want us to see some pictures of the guests or what have you, you can go to YouTube where I post the podcast and you can see some pictures while listening. Speaking of YouTube, for the YouTube subscribers, please do me a favor and also go follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. I much appreciate it. Okay, that's that. That takes care of the business. Now let's talk about the episode. Guys, I'm not going to lie. When I invited this guest to come on the podcast, I didn't think she would do it. Because I felt like I didn't want to bother her from her busy schedule of saving the world. Like, literally. But thankfully, she agreed to do it. Which just shows what an amazing person she is. And it's an absolute honor to have a distinguished guest like her. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest makes me proud to be a Filipino. She's a social activist, an author, and overall an amazing person. She's a triple threat on stage, and she'll also threat you with her mean left hook. Everyone, please welcome Trisha Jose. Thanks so much. That was a great intro. Huh. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Trisha Jose. Uh, my family is from the Philippines, and I came to Canada when I was um, very young, two or three years old. We immigrated into BC, but I'm currently working in Toronto, um, working on uh, different products in tech. Um, mm. So I'm really excited to be here today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been it's an honor for you to come on. Yeah, thank you so much. That was a really, really nice intro. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll see how the rest of the conversation goes, but that was very <laughs> kind. <laughs> so you mentioned that your family moved here to Canada. Did you guys move here at the same time or somebody came before you guys? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we all came at the same time. And actually, um, my my mom used to work for the Canadian Embassy back in the Philippines. So when I was very young, we actually uh, visited Ottawa, I believe, um, just for a trip that she was doing for work. And when she had come to Canada, she thought it was so beautiful. So she told all the family back in the Philippines, she said, this is the place to be, guys, we have to go. So of course, um, my, my parents and myself, we immigrated um, to BC, but also all my dad's side of the family ended up coming. So um, I grew up with many of my cousins on my dad's side around and all my aunts and uncles. Um, our first house, we actually all lived together, like much like Full House, the TV oh, show. Um, I think at the time there was probably only 10 of us. Like it was smaller families. I didn't, it was, uh, we didn't have everybody there, but it was a really, really lovely way to come to Canada. At least for me, I was a kid. I felt like everybody <laughs> there was with me. I never felt alone. Um, so we all came all together um, when I was I, like I said, I think two or three, very, very young. How many room in the house? 
Oh, that's a that's a detail that I <laughs> I was too young to remember, but I remember it having an upstairs and a downstairs. Um, and my cousin's family lived downstairs and we lived upstairs. Um, so I think it had at least three or four bedrooms. I can't, I could I, really, that house is, is foggy in my memory. Uh, it's been a long time since I've gone to that house. So that's all right. Yeah. Uh, your family still owns the house? No. So oh. after, I think, um, when you find a few families all live together, they realize that having personal space is really nice too. So <laughs> after a couple of years, um, all the families moved into their own respective homes. Um, so we moved into a townhouse. My cousins moved into a townhouse. Um, but all of this to say that actually up until now, well, COVID uh, withstanding, um, that family still gets together every Sunday to hang out and spend time with each other. So we still really like each other's company, just not enough to live together all in one house. Um <laughs> But it's one of the things actually that I missed most when I was when I moved to Toronto is the the time with family. I, family was such an important uh, part of my life growing up and still is. So, um, yeah, we we didn't we didn't end up staying in that house for longer than a year. Mm, okay, yeah, that happened to me too uh, when we moved here. But we live mm -hmm. in an apartment, but a three bedroom apartment. But there were like I think we we're nine people. Yeah. Yeah, it's a multi-generational housing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice, I, I, again, I was really young. So I think when I look at my experiences uh, working with newcomers at Arrive, which is the um, the company I built at RBC Ventures, mm. it's it's actually, it actually was a, a blessing in disguise to have so many family around all the time. I felt, I never felt alone. And again, I was probably too young to, um, to really know much better. Um, but I just look upon that time with really, really happy memories. So mm. wouldn't change it for, for the world. That's awesome. So how was your childhood in Vancouver? It was great. Um, I think what is interesting is because I came to Canada at a very young age, um, I had only spent so much time in the Philippines. And so growing up, I knew I was Filipino and I my family was Filipino, but a lot of my friends were not Filipino, or if they were Filipino, they were born in Canada. So I think I was really trying to figure out during my um, growing up years, really how to marry being Canadian and being Filipino and what that meant for my identity. So I, my, mo my mom and my dad will, will say that there was a time where I actually shifted from calling them mama and papa to mom and dad. And um, when I asked them, you know, please don't pack me, I want a sandwich for lunch instead of having <laughs> rice. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think about that time and it makes me a little bit sad because I think I just didn't know how to, how to put those two cultures together. I think there's so mm. much beauty and richness in, in the Filipino culture that actually as an adult, I came to appreciate and love a lot more. Um, but yeah, otherwise a very happy childhood. Um, really, really loved meeting all the new friends. Like I, I came before that sort of uh, critical age where I had already formed um, a lot of connections in the Philippines. I was so young that the majority mm -hmm. of my of my life that I remember was in Canada. Mm. So, how was going to school? Did you make a lot of friends? Was it a mixture of friends, or it has? Did it like stay with the Filipino? Um, it was a mixture of friends. And I think it's because um, BC, where my family lived, Richmond, which is just south of Vancouver, oh. is very diverse. So I had mm. a lot of friends. I had some Filipino friends, but like I said, they were mostly second generation Filipinos. So they had were born in Canada. And then I had friends that were not Filipino. Um, so I had quite a range of, of, um, 
of backgrounds that my friends had. But I think the beautiful thing as a kid too, is that you're not always aware of where people are from or where they, what accent they have. It, everyone is just a person. Um, so uh, yeah, I had, I had quite a lot of different friends and some that I actually am still friends with to this day. So um, I loved my elementary school. It was, it was the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Did, were you a good kid? Or did you get in oh, trouble? so good! Just the nicest, best kid ever. Um, I, I, I think I was a, I was actually very well behaved. Um, between my brother and I, he's definitely the angel child. Between the two of us, um, I think I was I was not necessarily rebellious, but I knew what I wanted, and I would always challenge my parents. So growing up, <laughs> we had a lot of very loud discussions <laughs> um, where I wanted to do certain things. Um, and asked for certain things. So I was a good kid, but I definitely um, was probably not as easy to deal with than I think my younger brother was. Mm, okay. It's always like that. It's always like the the eldest will be like a troublemaker or what, what have you. And the second one will be like the nice one. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. He was, he's, he's the, he's the nice one. He's the, he's the kind, good one. I think I was on with a little bit of fire, but um, I think in, in all things considered, I was, I would still say I was a good kid though. I did in my twenties apologize to my mom for the heartache that I caused her. I was like, I'm sorry, mom, you're the best. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think uh, all things considered was a good kid, but um, definitely gave my parents some grief. Um, mm. unfortunately, ah, that's your hero's journey. <laughs> I think it's just called being a teenage girl. I think exactly. teenage girls, uh, um, make up for the, how kind and gentle they are growing up. And that's when boys are crazy. Like the five, five-year-old, six-year-old age and mm -hmm. girls are really calm and tame. And then when they hit their teens, um, they become a different kind of monster. So, <laughs> uh, so I definitely lived that and I apologize to my parents, but, um, yeah. We're, I mean, we're, on, we're on the good side now, I think. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So you mentioned something about you were having issues with your identity. Mm -hmm. And I did some reading and research about you. And mm -hmm. I, I saw one thing that you wrote that you said, and I quote, growing up in Canada and not understanding how to reconcile where I came from and where I wanted to belong. I actively rejected my Filipino background and embraced all things Canadian, end quote. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think it was sort of what I was alluding to earlier, where I saw that I, I, I knew I was Filipino, but I was growing up in Canada. So I didn't have any strong connections to what it meant to be Filipino other mm. than my family, um, my family's culture and my family's practices. But I really associated that with just our family. I didn't really think about that beyond our family circle or our family bubble. And because my, my friends were largely second generation or people who were non-Filipino, hmm. um, where I found commonalities with them were not typically things that were what I knew as a Filipino. So I was finding it like, I mean, a trivial example is um, I wanted to go for a sleepover, but my parents are more strict than other parents. <laughs> so they said, they said I couldn't have a sleepover and I could never understand why I couldn't have that. And so there were just little micro incidents where I think I, if I had the liberty to decide between a Filipino practice, like again, the mama, papa um, calling of my parents versus the Canadian mom, dad, I think when you're a kid, you just want to belong. So I chose not to be different. And I just joined my friends calling their parents, mom and dad. I wanted to do, to eat 
um, sandwiches. I wanted to do the things that made me feel, you know, quote unquote normal. And I think now I look back and I realize that there's no such thing as just a normal way of living. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, again, when you're a kid, you don't really see how you're different. And in fact, you try to hide the ways that you're different. Um, so yeah, it was definitely something that I didn't quite understand. And because when we left the Philippines, I hadn't gone back in several years and it had been only a couple trips Mm -hmm. where we just visited with family. Like I just never really fully grasped what that meant, Mm -hmm. what that meant to be Filipino, how that impacted my life. So I just chose to ignore it. And I chose to, if I could show that I wasn't that interested in it to show that I was different, which again, um, I'm not necessarily proud of, but um, I think it's something that you grapple with if you're, um, if you're young and you're growing up in a different environment. Mm. But you were never ashamed being Filipino. No, I wouldn't say ashamed. It's just that I think I, I, I found pride in the fact that I was, that I was like everybody else in the ways that I wanted to be like everybody else. And I was different from what I might've considered. So uh, another very trivial example is I think there are some tropes around uh, or um, some things that people associate with being Filipino, such as like, Oh, we like to sing karaoke. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and I love karaoke to be honest. Like I, 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 it's my stress relief. Like I love to sing, but growing up, I actually was like, no, I don't like karaoke because I thought that it helped separate me from, I think, what I saw as um, something that everybody else was like. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not it was not for shame. It was just I think I want to show that I was part of this group and not that group, which I I think is just, again, a kid thing, because I think if I had gone to school with a lot of Filipinos, I probably would have done the opposite. I think it was just because I was surrounded by people who were different than me, but similar with each other. I wanted to be like them. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was shame. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say shame per se, but I think I was definitely confused about how to, um, marry those two identities. Mm. So after high school, you went to university. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my high school experience was interesting because I went to an all girls high school. Um, and so, and my mom is, uh, she works in, um, technology. And so, and I was like, in high school, very involved. I did. Um, I, I got very good grades. I was a student council president and um, did like musicals and stuff. So I never thought that there was nothing I couldn't do. I had great role models. I like I was at a school that nurtured um, um, any ability that you had. And then when I went to university, I was super surprised because um, there is this conception that men are smarter than women or men <laughs> better at other things. And so I was, I, I've, I mean, common theme, I guess, is I was confused a lot, but I was like, what, where, why, why are girls so quiet? I I'd started to pursue computer science in mm. university and there were mostly, um, I used to make a joke that I, one of the perks was that I had the female bathroom as a clubhouse for myself, just because <laughs> there was no other women in computer science. But again, looking back, that's, I think of that as so problematic. Like I should have been really, trying to convince other women to join computer science. Mm. But again, I think I saw that being a part of a group where others like me were not a part of was, um, was something to be proud of. But again, now looking back in retrospect, I don't think that is something to be proud of. I think it shows that there's something that needs to be changed. Mm. Um, so yeah, really interesting transition from high school to university, 
surrounded, always surrounded by women like me, like really amazing, talented women. And then in university being surrounded by a bunch of men, um, it was just a different environment um, that I kind of moved into. Mm. I like that you mentioned about that you went to computer science because I want to ask your opinion about, you remember the the Google memo? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Um, the the Google the Google memo, as in um, the, the the James Damore memo that he was saying that women doesn't go to tech because of like men are more driven or something like that. Oh yeah, um, I think I think that part of the part of the problem that I think with um, the way that our world is is it's very black and white. Like I'm Filipino, I'm not Filipino. I I'm um, there's man versus woman. Like, I think there's a lot of intersectionality. And I think that when you start to understand individuals for who they are, considering all their different, um, visible and invisible, um, like if they're a visible minority or invisible minority or whatever it is, uh, all their different parts of their identity. I think that you start to value people beyond just, Oh, a man is this. And a woman is this, I think a Filipino is this, uh, a non-Filipino is this, mm-hmm. um, And I think part of the challenge of that thinking where it is very black and white is that we tend to create us and them. So when we, when we hear memos like that, or like men are like this and women like this, my immediate reaction as a woman is to say, you know what, forget you guys, we're going to do our own thing because you're not helping us. I think you actually need both parties in order to move things forward. Like you need strong allies and you need strong champions that are not like you and as a you know this is an immigrant immigrant podcast i think even for immigrants i think knowing for myself and for the people that i know who are people of color we're often championed by people who are not people of color and i think it's in the it's in those intersections it's the intermingling it's the recognizing what people bring to the table that actually helps move the needle forward as opposed to oh you know what men are this way and women are this way so and I, I, I don't I don't think it's the right takeaway that men are the enemy in the in the cases of um, like the um, gender differences in pay and everything in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. I think it's more so to say we need to find and and make sure we're intentional about bringing more women to the table. There's not only one seat for a woman. There's actually many seats and it's now trying to lift each other up, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I, I find those those pieces a bit challenging because I, I definitely disagree. But at the same time, I think that the overwhelming response is problematic as well. And mm-hmm. then we never actually end up getting to a, a productive, um, a productive state. So um, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of thinking around um, about what it means to move, move certain things forward, especially with respect to representation and stuff like that. So um, I do think it, it requires a bit of a team effort and a bit of a, a bit more intentionality than you guys are the enemy and we need we need to move this forward etc mm-hmm. but i agree women are more smarter <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to argue with that it's true but thank you for that that's really well thought of but um yeah, I, sorry go ahead no no i was just gonna say it just it honestly just comes from when i reflect back on my own experiences i I recognize that it's not just because of stuff that I've done that has been um, that I've been able to do what I've been able to do. I think it's a lot of people who have championed me, mentored me, et cetera. And they're not all people that I that I can see exactly me. There's been enough of people 
where like, I, again, my mom, I see her, she works in tech and she's a woman. It's amazing. But at the same time, there's also been a lot of really great men that have opened doors for me, et cetera. So I think it's, it's recognizing that it's not just a, a binary this or that. I think it's actually um, a bit more, a little bit more complex like that. And I think that's where um, you get really amazing results. So yeah, yeah. those are just my two cents there. Yeah, I agree with that. I I don't like that idea that, oh, we have to have at least three women at the table. What if the woman's not good enough? Yeah, I think the challenge with quota, I think that the challenge is like how to get from where we are today to where we want to be. And I think sometimes quotas are a meaningful way of getting there because we don't have the way to source. Like we don't have, we don't have equity in, in sourcing talent. So it, it will always be that we'll fill it with men. So I also am not a big fan of quotas per se, but I think sometimes it's a bridging solution to get mm. from where we are today to where we want to be um, tomorrow. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it opens a door. Yeah, it, it. I think you need, I remember when I was um, chatting with this venture capitalist, there's a stat that, that goes around in the startup world that women are funded um, at a fraction of what men are funded at. And the reason, and it's true. And some of the takeaways, again, like in, in a us versus them is that, oh, women don't pitch well, or they women don't do this, women do that, and where men are more this and that. But I think what it really is, is that when you look at people who are evaluating um, the VCs, they're primarily men. So how do you improve those outcomes? You actually do need to create a quota to put a woman at the table so that you can, so it, it's a bit of a chicken and egg. Um, but it's not the end all be all solution. I think there's, there's education. I think there's conversation that needs to happen, but those conversations are only productive if it's not a walled conversation. Like if Mm. it's, if there's openness on both sides, and then you also create those gates, like sometimes quotas do help so that you can start to connect the dots to get there, but Mm. definitely not an end all be all solution. Yeah, I agree with that. So Mm. at the beginning, I mentioned that you're a triple threat on stage. (laughs) I would like to talk about your, uh, play that you created with your brother, I believe? Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned that family is super important to me. And I also mentioned that um, a lot of the things I think about have to do with the fact that I look back and I have gratitude for all the people in my life that have shaped it. So um, a big theme in my, in what I do is, uh, I think you mentioned it earlier too, is just around social impact and advocacy. Um, And that comes a lot from that desire to pay forward some of the really amazing things that I've just had experience that, again, I don't think that it has anything to do with what I've done. I just have been fortunate to be in certain situations and certain circumstances. So I often think of that. Um, With the musical, um, I actually did it with, I mentioned, like I said, family is important. So the musical is a collaboration between my brother and my parents and I. Mm. Um, My parents actually met in the Philippines working on um, plays and musicals as fundraising projects within their parish. Um, so that's how they met. That's how they fell in love, et cetera, et cetera. So that's something that they've always been involved with. Um, and then a few years ago, actually more than a few years ago now, I, I, time is is tricky. But I think in 2012, we were approached by a charitable organization um, that actually uh, does a lot of outreach work in the Philippines that my family supports. Um, so they send kids to school. They do child uh, sponsorship. They build homes. And they had approached my parents with this concept, knowing sort of this this legacy that preceded them because they did some of that work in Canada too. We're interested in putting together this Filipino musical called Magsimulaka mm. and will you guys lead it for us so that we can increase awareness of, um, of our charity. My parents were like, for sure. My brother and I, I like to think I'm good at Tagalog, but 
definitely not good enough to to do a whole musical, but the whole musical was in Tagalog. And we're like, you know what? Let's just do it. So um, so we we started to do auditions. We held auditions and everything for the show. Um, and somewhere, I don't know exactly how it happened, but somewhere in between, the rights to the show fell through. So we had held these auditions, but we didn't have a show. Um, <laughs> so my parents, the masterminds behind everything that, the, the reason why I think the way I think and everything um, I do, they they said to us, they're like, why don't we write a show? And we're like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> and so my mom, um, she said she she told us the concept. She's like, pretend, imagine that you are a bunch. We're a bunch of there's a bunch of kids. There's a bunch of university grads. and They're about to see the world um, and they're excited. And she's told us the essence. And she's like, just try writing a song. And I sat, locked ourselves in a room, wrote the song. And when it was done, we we're like, oh, that was pretty cool. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. So um, we built a show off of that. And I wouldn't suggest that this is the right way to write a show. But <laughs> as we were doing rehearsals, we would add songs based on, and it was kind of cool that way because wow. the the talents that we had in the cast, we would tailor the songs around what they could do. So it it, it felt like a perfect fit because it, it really was. We had a, a, a woman with a beautiful soprano voice. So we wrote her this really beautiful song. Um, we had our lead at the time was 16, I think 15, 16 years old, had a beautiful voice. So we made her the lead. So we scrapped that original show and it was honestly the best thing we could have done. We put on the show for um, two showings in 2013 at the River Rock Theater in Richmond, which is Richmond, BC, which is has a capacity of a thousand people. So we mm-hmm. sold out both shows. Then we're like, sold oh. out. So sold out both shows. So we're like, okay, wow. cool. So that was done. Really great experience, raised a bunch of money. The next year, another group approached us like, can you do this again? So we did it again. Then we did it again. We did it. So we ended up showing the show nine times, I believe, over the course of five years. We raised 300K for international and local charities. Um, And we actually, for our second last show, we took it on tour to San Francisco, where we put on the show there. And uh, it was also sold out. Um, So it was, it was one of the most joyful projects I had ever done with my family. Um, And we met some really amazing friends through it. So uh, it was called right here, right now. So uh, it was in English. It was not a Tagalog show, but, but really proudly. And this was an unintended uh, outcome is that the majority of our cast and crew were Filipino Canadians. So um, really showcased the talents of the Filipino community in Canada. um, And was just, again, a really beautiful coming together of community, completely volunteer based, um, nobody was paid for their time there. It nobody. Was really, nobody was paid, not even me. <laughs> um, it was uh, it was really um, a showcase of people's time, talents, and treasure, and and being in a spirit of service, which was really like the reason why people were there not, were not just because they were talented, um, but because they also had a heart to serve others, and they knew where this project was going. So the people who were super talented, some of them were there, but they didn't have the hardest service, so they actually excused themselves. Um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, <laughs> like, it was screw this, man, I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah, they're like, wait, there's no money here? Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was really cool, and it was an all-original show. So my brother and I wrote, I think, I'm losing I'm losing track now, I think 13 or 14 songs. Um, just, the, just you and him writing it? Just me and my brother. Um, he's the prodigy for sure. I was just... Um, I was I was just supporting him. Um, I standing there I, to I, look I cute the, and I, everything. <laughs> I wrote the lyrics and he wrote the music. Um, wow. But uh, and then yeah, then we had uh, a cast of varying varying sizes over the years. But I think always between around twenty and 
30, 30 to 35 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great. And I, I, I love all those people. Every time I see them, it's the best it's very thing very impressive, ever. man. <laughs> Have you ever thought of like selling the rights for it to be like in the Broadway, in Broadway or something like that? We've thought about it. We've thought about it. Um, my, my, I think my brother has put it on SoCan, so the music is um, like legally protected and everything, but we haven't gone through that exercise of selling the rights. I think we'd like to write another show in the future, um, mm-hmm. so that's something that we want to do. But in the period that we were, right, we were doing the show, I actually moved to Toronto, and collaborating over FaceTime is not quite the same as in person, so that's slowed our progress a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, a lot of those individuals... Um, we we did a smaller, very very small project with them last year um, when we when the pandemic was first announced in March, and we um, called it Project Quarantine, which is like quarantine but a choir. And we got uh, around 200 people from around the world, and we um, we did a virtual choir. My brother and I put it together. So a lot of the a lot of the folks from the musical are also seen there but mm-hmm. um yeah music is just such a powerful way i think of bringing people together and that's that's why i love it yeah it's true it's it doesn't it doesn't matter what language you speak music speaks to your heart mm-hmm. yeah. exactly and i like that you mentioned quarantine because i was going to talk about that too the next. <laughs> yeah yeah it's just there's a lot of there's a lot of similar participants so i was just gonna just address that one mm. so you mentioned you moved to toronto mm-hmm What's the reason? Um, what's the reason? I did a master's in biomedical engineering. So, um, what is that? <laughs> so, You're too smart for me. Biomedical engineering um, is and it's an engineering discipline, but really focused on um, the biomedical field. So, anything with a pl- application to health or healthcare services or health sciences. So, I chose to do that. So, I mentioned earlier I did computer science. Um, and I worked as a software developer a little bit, but I really, this, again, my parents, I go back to them. They're the reason why I make decisions that I make. This desire to do something that was bigger than myself or that impacted my community in a bigger way than just existing was always present. So I thought doing a master's would be a really great way to do that. So um, what I worked on was, uh, it was in the Intelligent Assistive Technology Lab, which mm-hmm. means that it was... Um, I worked on a thesis that built like an autonomous wheelchair for older adults with cognitive impairment. So it was like some self-driving car technology, but in a wheelchair for people who have like dementia or other cognitive impairments. Um, So that's what I came out to Toronto to do. So I completed my master's at uh, U of T. Mm, So you went to school for that. And then, but now you live in Toronto. Yeah. So I, I, it was a, I did my undergrad in, in BC and then I came out here to do a, my master's. So I came here and I was studying and then I ended up staying in Toronto because during my master's, I started a company and then that company led me to uh, RBC and starting arrive there. So I just ended up staying. I haven't left since. Yeah. I like that arrive, by the way. Can we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's very, very applicable. So um, when sort of the bridge between um, what I've shared and, and arrive, when I started a company, I found myself um, meeting RBC and I thought, R- and RBC was in the middle of doing something really interesting, which was creating a new group called RBC Ventures. RBC Ventures is really focused on um, going beyond banking for its clients and its its prospective clients and looking at underserved markets to see how we can serve them better. And I was really um, 
passionate about the newcomer space because mm. during the formation of my company prior to that, I really fell in love with the immigrant storyline. I think there's a lot of sacrifice that people um, make so that they can have uh, a better life for their family. And I think it's, it's just the amount of riskiness and the amount of things that people go through. And it's not easy to be, to come to a new country. I sort of fell in love with that story. So um, when I came to RBC, I really wanted to work on something in that space. And um, another, another um, lady named Chica, she was also researching in that space. We started to work together um, and we found that a lot of the problems that existed for our parents when they immigrated still exist today. It's still not super clear cut how to immigrate. It's still a bit, um, there's a lot of feelings of uh, loneliness or mm. feeling overwhelmed. And so we wanted to uh, set out to fix that for newcomers. So that's how Arrive was born. Arrive is really RBC, uh, RBC going beyond banking for newcomers to Canada um, and trying to support newcomers from every step of their journey from when they um, apply to come to Canada all the way till when they officially become Canadian and get citizenship, et cetera. So been working on it for three years. It's been really, really lovely. Have some awesome, awesome um, stories of people that we've met and chatted with along the way. But um, that's sort of how I got to hear through that wayward journey of everything I talked about earlier. Mm. Yeah, your articles are awesome. That's awesome. I will tell our content team. <laughs> but yeah, I'll read it and then I said, yeah, I didn't even think of that. You know, like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They Some people should know that. Yeah, exactly. Is it an office? Like people comes in? How does it work? arrive so i mean we used to have an office but because of covid hmm. we are all working from home um but essentially what we do is we have um a team that works on two primary products one is our our website which you've seen and that's where we have articles and different content and resources every day that we update that are relevant to newcomers so when um when the CERB was first announced in Canada to supplement income, we were the first, one of the first um, outlets to talk about how that could impact newcomers and how what newcomers need to know about it. So we're really trying to stay on top of what's happening in Canada and beyond and, and provide that level of support to newcomers. And then we've recently also um, revamped our application. So previously it was like a networking tool for newcomers. And now we're really focused on a deep content experience. We aim to be sort of like your masterclass or Peloton experience, but for newcomer <laughs> content coming to Canada. So that's that's what the team really works on. And then um, we have amazing partners, of course, with RBC that if people need help with other topics, we we try to connect people as best we can. So um, one of our team members we hired because she was a newcomer to Canada and um, I saw her in a WhatsApp chat. She was sharing some of her blogs and I was like, that's amazing. So I reached out to her. Uh, we met for coffee and then now she's our lead uh, digital marketer. So, wow. um, yeah, really awesome, really awesome stories and, uh, people that I've met through arrive. Yeah. You guys are doing God's work. <laughs> it's lots of fun. And it's, uh, it's amazing that uh, the people that we meet, cause Canada is very fortunate. We have so many incredible people coming to Canada and making this their home. So I think the least we can do is try to make that journey a little bit less stressful or a little bit more, uh, clear. So that's, that's the goal. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I like about your uh, articles are things that no one talks about, no one realizes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you need to set up bank account. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, that's one thing I like about Arrive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the goal. And hopefully we'll be able to expand to because right now we're focused a lot on content 
um, of course, in the GTA. But I think we're looking at introducing a lot more provincial specific content in the next little bit so that anyone immigrating to any of the other great provinces will have um, content at their disposal. Good luck. Good luck. Um, Thanks. It's awesome. Also, you also do run a uh, group called We Represent? Yeah, We Represent is a nonprofit that I started with a friend of mine, and it really actually touches on a lot of the stuff we talked about earlier, which is around representation and how, and and really the thesis around that is that um, there's this concept of if you can see it, you can be it. So how do we provide good role models for young people? How do we help um, people who are underrepresented um, become the future change makers of the world? So really it's around like uplifting uh, underrepresented voices, leveling the playing field a little bit. I think something that we talk about often is that talent is distributed equally, but opportunity isn't. So Hmm. how can we um, help democratize access to opportunity? Um, And it's really focused on youth. So we work a lot with high school students and um, I say young people, but really young is a, it depends on who's who's asking. (laughs) So Hmm. younger people. Mm. How do you help those uh, young people, as you said? Yeah, so we've done a couple things. Um, we've run a couple competitions. So the first year, what we did was we um, created a prompt, so an underrepresented woman in history, and students were asked to submit a creative work. So we got some spoken word poetry, some mm. um, uh, original music, some film, um, some actual visual art. Um, and then we awarded a winner and then we have scholarship prizing and a fellowship. The, the last year we did one that was around, the prompt was around climate change. So how do you improve climate change? And um, they were asked to create a business. So it was an entrepreneurship challenge. Um, so we actually are in an interesting part where we're looking at some of our programming um, and looking how we can revise it for the upcoming years. But we also did a lot of programming with existing organizations and schools. So we'd go into schools or into conferences and then do a program on ideation or representation for young people. Um, so yes, it was a very busy, it's, it's been very busy with that, but right now currently revising our programming to look at what we want to do, especially now with the COVID lens on mm. everything, um, what is the best way to proceed? But yes, lots of fellowship, scholarship, programming, um, that kind of thing. Mm. So it's only in Toronto or can anyone sign up? Um The first year was only in the GTA because it was an in-person event. Last year, we opened it up um, across Canada just because uh, it was digital. It was a virtual event. So we weren't constrained by in-person requirements. Um, But the goal is, of course, reaching as many people as we can. So um, we have our sites definitely beyond just Toronto. It just so happens that we're both here. So that's Mm. where a lot of our conversations happen mm, okay mm-hmm. so let's focus on back to your personal side and mm-hmm. this one thing i love is you wrote a children's storybook yeah <laughs> yeah it was lots of fun it was um again another just joyful project to do i um was feeling frustrated during the pandemic because it's a very overwhelming time there's a lot of people in need and a lot of inequality that's just getting the gap is sort of widening between um the polar ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. and so i was feeling really overwhelmed like what can we do how can we help and as a creative exercise to myself i started to write the story around essentially not trying to do everything and sometimes little actions 
are the biggest are the most impact. And I wrote it from the perspective of my dog Penny because hmm. she she's looks a like cutie, a human. by the way. Yeah, she's she looks like a human, and I <laughs> I don't know what she's thinking. So it was just it was fun, um, and I wrote it, and then um, I read it, and I was like, oh, it's actually. Yeah, it's not bad. So I sent it to some friends and some family and they were like, this is really cute. And so I thought like, why not put it in the world? Like see if any, it'll help anybody else. So I messaged one of my friends who actually was part of our musical right here, right now. And that's how I met her. She was in our cast and I, she's a very talented illustrator. So I asked her, Hey, can you illustrate this book? It's just like a fun project. She's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I, I think so. So we worked back and forth on it. And then during the holidays, I figured out how to self-publish, put it on Amazon. And then I've been so overwhelmed with, it's only been a couple of weeks, but having been getting so much love from um, people, like parents, kids, dogs, <laughs> you name it. Um, it's been a really, really lovely response. And I think a lot of people have said it's such a appropriate message for the times of when you're feeling stuck. Like it's just about doing little things and having a lot of love in those little things that you do. And that's really the most that we can do. And oftentimes um, it means more to than we could ever imagine. So yeah, very, very fun project. And I am going to write more. There's more mm. in the, on the way. So it's, it's not what I do for my day job for sure, but it's just a really um, wonderful way to be creative, but also f- still spread positive positivity and a good message hmm. so yeah it's been, it was really fun it was very very um very recent project but hmm. yeah, yeah you're really- right what's the can you mention the title yes it's called penny tries to boil the ocean um and it's a story about making a difference and the reason why it's called penny tries to boil the ocean is because boil the ocean is a business idiom that is hmm. used in canada um, and it really means to try and do too many things, like take on an impossible project. And I've always been a boil the ocean kind of girl. My mom, <laughs> oh, I can to, tell. My, my mom used to always warn me. She's like, don't boil the ocean. It's You're not going to get anything done like that. So um, it's a reminder not to boil the ocean. It's a reminder that it's little actions that make the biggest difference. Mm. How do you self-publish? Um, I publish through Amazon, which mm. is... Um, they've got a service called Kindle Direct Publishing, and it's a print-on-demand service, which means I don't have to buy like tons and tons of stock. Because I wasn't sure, honestly, I didn't know how many people wanted this book. I, it was my first book, so I was like, I could get a hundred, but maybe I would not sell them. I could get ten, I could get a thousand. So this way, when people order, um, the book gets printed and then shipped, which is amazing. Um, and honestly, the response has been greater than I could have imagined for a couple of weeks in so it's 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 been great it's very awesome I, I see the stories that you post it's pretty cool yeah yeah i'm I happy think so for too. you <laughs> thanks i mentioned that because i also wrote a children's storybook but i never published it oh cool so yeah uh, it's not as hard as you think i think is what i realized <laughs> it's it's just a little bit of patience but um i i, I looked at going down the traditional uh, publishing route mm. but ultimately my goal was just to see if was just to get it to as many people as I could given the timeliness of the story and this was just a way to get it out much faster and yeah I, I think it's it's really really um, it's been really great mm. does your parents live in Toronto or they're back in BC they're back in BC unfortunately mm. so yeah I miss my family that's for sure <laughs> that must be hard for you 
Yeah, we saw them in the summer, but um, I hope to I hope to see them very soon when this lockdown is done. They're doing okay. Yeah, they're doing great. I know your mom had uh, she was sick for a bit. Yeah, it was a definitely a tough uh, 2020 for many reasons, some family um, health issues and stuff like that. But super thankful that everybody is in good health as much as possible right now. So just a, another reminder, at least for me, the reminder is um, not everything matters. So only like focus on the things that matter in life and life is short. So you might as well be spending it doing things that have a purpose. Otherwise, what's the point? So um, yeah, 2020 was definitely a year of refocusing because of what was happening in the world, but also um, personally. What is your opinion about COVID? Are we well, are we going to be out soon or what's happening? I, I, before I answer, I think one of the things I, I heard from someone in a story that they were telling is that there's a difference between an optimist and a realist. An optimist is a person that is like almost ignoring reality and they're saying it's going to get better. Everything's going to be great. And the optimist is always disappointed because ultimately if you're saying by Sunday we should be out, it's not going to happen. The realist is a person that still maintains hope, but also is aware of the situation. So I consider myself, or I try to consider myself uh, a realist. So I do think that this will end. I don't have a date in my mind of when it will end. Hmm. I don't think by, and I I think uh, I had a lot of thoughts on this um, at the end of the 2020 year, because a lot of people are really looking forward to January 1st. And I was like, it's not going to change on January 1st. (laughs) Like It's going to be the exact same thing. But I think knowing the hope that it will be better and I will get to hug my loved ones and I will get to um, high five people again. (laughs) Like, I think that keeps me, that keeps me motivated and knowing that we're keeping each other safe. Like that keeps me going through the eight week lockdown that we've been in, in Ontario. Um, but so I I do think it's going to end. I just don't, I just couldn't tell you by June 1st, we're going to be allowed to gather in groups of 50. Like it's, it's so hard to predict Hmm. that it's, it's almost not worth it. You're right. You're right. So with all the achievements and accomplishments, what's your next big goal? Oh, I'm working on a project that's very much under wraps. So <laughs> you'll have to you're wait. Tell and me. See. I'm not going to tell anyone. <laughs> you'll have to wait and see in the next couple of months. But I am working on some um, some new things that I think um, will be interesting. I'm obviously working on another book, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, fingers crossed. I don't want to jinx anything as well. So I'll just keep working away at some stuff, and then hopefully it will see the light of day. But. Um, if it doesn't, that's also how it goes. So there are things to come, but uh, you'll have to probably ask me in four, three to four months when when I'm able to bring it to light. Mm, we'll do, we'll do, we'll do. Mm-hmm. So I think we're there, but do you have any last remark or parting message? No, I think um, it was really great chatting with you. I think that um, for anyone listening to this, I know it's it's focused on different people's stories from an immigrant perspective. So I think if you're listening to this, if someone's listening to this and they're um, a person who has recently completed their immigration journey or um, is thinking about it, I think all the kudos to you. It's not an easy journey. And I think people like yourself, Aaron, or other people who do act as champions for these important stories are, are so needed. Um, because of everything that I said earlier, it's not ultimately when we come to Canada, it's not just an immigrant and then a non-immigrant 
place to live. Like it's, we're, we're, we're all united and we're all connected. So I think the more that we can help each other and be there for each other, that's really what Arrive was all about. And that's what I think you're trying to do with this podcast and and many others. So keep up the great work to them, keep up the great work to you. Like it's um, very, very important work that doesn't go unnoticed. Wise word from a wise woman. Thank you again, Trisha, for coming and doing the podcast. I really do appreciate it. It is an honor. Oh, thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. Have a good evening. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Again, Trisha, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening every week. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. See you guys later.